Joel already introduced me. David's my name. I'm one of the pastors here at uh, Mueller Community Church. And uh, it is good that we can be here together this morning. We've been working through a series, First John, and we spent four, four or so weeks in that. We'll do Second John this week, Third John with Pete Law next week, and then um, Timon Bengston will come and bring Jude to us. We'll finish out November, and, um, and then we'll head into Advent into December and rolling into then Christmas with a special Christmas Eve program that we want to put on on the Sunday evening. On our, in 2017, Robin and I were making our way from Bradford in the UK up to Edinburgh and we went via a seaside town called Whitby. Anybody been to Whitby? Anybody know Whitby? Okay, I see that one hand, our Irish hand. Um, see that uh, we were up uh, travelling through there and we stopped at Whitby and, and it's, a, it's a beautiful seaside town. There's a, an old... Um, um, ruins of an old cathedral that's sitting up there on the hill and uh, you should have the, the, the picture sitting up there behind you. Uh, it was actually where Captain Cook did his apprenticeship and so it's quite a famous sort of historical type area. But geographically it's quite, uh, it, it's quite interesting. On the left hand uh, side you have these very steep cliffs and you've got this rocky shelf that sits, uh, it's, it's exposed at height at low tide, but at high tide you can't see it. Then on the right-hand side there, you've got uh, this wide sandy beach. It goes actually for quite a number of kilometres, and the route into the harbour, uh, and it's a pleasant little harbour that sits in there, is through these two piers, through these two stone piers, and certainly over the years. Uh, end up either side of those piers and you'll end up shipwrecked, be it the sand or be it the rocky shelf or whatever. And I think it, it, it's a helpful metaphor to where we're going to go this morning. I want us to consider those two piers, one either side there, as being the piers of truth on the left-hand side and the pier of love on the right-hand side. As Christians, as we live out our lives and our families and our communities and churches, we wrestle with this. We wrestle with truth and we wrestle with love. Our culture wrestles with uh, truth and love. Uh, it sits perfectly in God. There's no tension there at all. But for us, it is a challenge. Because if we head off too much to the, uh, to the, the peer side of truth, then we run the risk of running aground there with, with, uh, with, with no love. It's hard. Truth can become judgmental and it can become cruel and you end up foundering then on the rocks. But all love and no truth can be too soft. It can be sentimental. It sits over there in, uh, you know, one of our common expressions we hear these days in terms of tolerant of everything but it's dishonest and you end up on those soft sands, as it were, to the right of that pier. But we need, as God's people, these guiding piers of truth and love as beacons to be able to guide us safely as a church and as families. 
So, welcome to Second John. It's where we're at. You should have that. Everyone should have that. It's actually a brief letter. And as I was starting to think through Second uh, John and reading about it being a, a brief letter or whatever that would have been sent to uh, this little home church or whatever by the Apostle John, it got me thinking, do you know what? That whole letter can fit on the back of a postcard. It's actually less than 300 words. And there it is. So that's what we're going to be working on. I've actually underlined uh, three phrases there. Uh, so there's my message. There it is. We're basically done. So, <laughs> oh, Robin clapped. <laughs> okay. She's got me on the clock. Who's never written a letter? I'm a bit concerned we might have generations that could be arising that have never written a letter. In fact, when Robin and I were dating, she was in Sydney, I was in Brisbane, and I wrote a letter every week. I was thankful for some of Paul's verses because I'd write in those verses, I thank my God on every remembrance of thee. (laughs) Old sort of King James English and so on. But we wrote every week. But this is a special letter. 300 words, what he contains, I think, is a word and a message for us as a church. There's clarity, the incredible clarity that gives us some insight into this, I'm going to say tension or this balance we need to have between truth and love. Okay, let's read it. You've got it all there, or you should have it. Uh, If you don't, there are some up on the back table there, uh, but that's okay. It is actually in your Bible, but it's just brief and you can quickly miss it. Let's read it together. I want you to look out for some repetitive words. I want you to look out for words like truth, look out for words like love, look out for words like walk, and I want you to try and pay attention to it as we read it through. Here we go. The elder, to the lady chosen by God and to her children whom I love in the truth. And not I only, but also all who know the truth. Because of the truth which lives in us and will be with us forever. Grace mercy and peace from God the Father and from Jesus Christ the Father's Son will be with us in truth and love. It's given me great joy to find some of your children walking in the truth just as the Father commanded us and now dear lady I'm not writing you a new command but one we've had from the beginning. I ask that we love one another and this is love that we walk in obedience to his commands. And as you have heard from the beginning, his command is that you walk in love. I say this because many deceivers who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh have, come out, have gone out into the world. Any such person is the deceiver and the antichrist. Watch out that you do not lose what we have worked for, but that you may be rewarded fully. Anyone who runs ahead and does not continue in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever continues in the teaching has the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not take them into your house or welcome them. Anyone who welcomes them shares in their wicked work. I have much to write to you, but I do not want to use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to visit you and visit you and talk with you face to face, that our joy might be complete. The children of your sister who is chosen by God send their greeting. Lord, as we open up this very brief book of the Bible, it comes to others uh, from John with considerable clarity and I'll let, pray that your word will speak to us this morning and what you would have to say to us as the church. 
Okay, those first few verses there, I'll look at the first uh, three verses and uh, we'll consider some things from there. I think coming out of, out of this, there's, there's a number of expressions uh, and phrases sitting there. Um, he talks about knowing the truth. What does that mean? I want us to look at that. He talks about walking in truth. What does that look like? And whilst he doesn't use the expression, uh, the, the second half of the postcard on that side there really is about guarding the truth. And what does that look like? To the elder, to the lady chosen uh, and her children. We believe it's uh, John the Apostle, an old man now, the only, probably the only surviving original disciple of Jesus. And he's writing to this woman who's she's unidentified. In 3 John, you'll see that he identifies uh, who he's writing to there and, and possibly her home church. Now, it may be that persecution was in that area and he needed to be a bit discreet with her name and identifying where that church is. We do that here. Uh, we've got some uh, people that we support in a particular part of the world and we don't normally refer to their full name or to the area where they're serving in. But it's a personal letter and I think uh, we will find it uh, helpful to us this morning. And he says, Who I love in the truth, and not only uh, I only, but also all who know the truth which lives in us and will be with us forever. You see, as we come together as the church this morning, or a small representation of the church uh, worldwide, it's actually truth that brings us together. It brings us together as a church. As I look out across uh, a group like this, we've got significant um, backgrounds of people. We've got different cultures. I've already pointed out our uh, Barry from Ireland, and we have Guatemala, we have the Philippines, we have uh, India, uh, we have South Africa, um, we all come together. And as I look around, we've got some different age groups that are sitting in here that brings us together. Uh, different interests, different personalities. But we're not a club. Dad might be a part of the Redcliffe Aero Club and it's aviation that brings people there together as part of that club. Or it might be sport or it might be something like that. But in our case, it's truth that brings us together. We have a common commitment to what John uh, says is truth. And out of that truth, which we'll look at shortly, it brings together uh, fellowship. We share this common conviction about truth and it brings us together because normally a very diverse group of people like this may not normally hang out with each other. And so here we are, brought together this morning by a common conviction about truth. And here's what that truth is that I want us to be thinking about. Truth is personified in Jesus Christ. We have been singing to that this morning. There is more to knowing truth than just facts about stuff. The truth that I'm talking about here, the truth that brings us together, is actually the truth that is personified in the person of Jesus Christ. That's what brings, together, brings us together. And this truth lives in us and will be with us, John says, forever. It's an eternal truth. It's, we sung last week, on Christ the solid rock I stand. Head off to the side of the pier there at Whitby, all other ground is sinking sand. In fact, the author of this little letter is, was also the author of the Gospel of John. Look at these few verses that I will bring to us to think about in terms of Jesus being personified as truth. 
John 1 verse 14 says, The Word became flesh. That's Jesus. He became one of us. He made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. So this person, who we come to our Advent system, uh, uh, season, who we remember, is the one who is full of grace and truth. And that's how he came to us. John 8, 31, 32. To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you're really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So in the person of Jesus Christ, he is claiming for himself that he is truth. And that this truth will set us free. Interesting that the whole part of our humanity is we want to be free. We want to be free from restrictions. We want to be free from authority. We want to be free from a whole range of things. But Jesus says here, in knowing the truth, you will be free. John 14 verse 6, he actually declares it. And we looked at this a few weeks ago when Finn took us through John chapter 4. Uh, I am the way. Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That sounds like an exclusive statement, but it's an invitation because he says that uh, he is the way to the Father, but in all of that, he is the truth. He is claiming this. And you see, his enemies realise that uh, while uh, that we read there in the Gospels and so on because he was making himself out to be God. John 18, 37, the conversation between Pilate and Jesus, and he says, you are a king then, said Pilate, and Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. In fact, the reason I was born and came into the world is to testify to this truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. They are enormous claims that Jesus is making, not only about truth, but about himself. We talk about this expression, I hear it regularly, you want to be found on the right side of history. I don't want to be found on the right side of history. I want to be found on the right side of truth. And Jesus is declaring that here. You see, truth is personified in Jesus. To know the truth is to know Jesus. That is the heart of the gospel. That is the heart of the Christian message. The eternal Son of God who was and is and always will be came to us as the word he became flesh. He lived his life and he died on a cross, was buried three days and was resurrected and is alive forever. It's not enough to know Jesus intellectually. I remember an interview between, an uh, I can't remember who the Australian uh, interviewer was, but he was a significant uh, well-known person. He's interviewing Bishop Spong, who was the Bishop of New Jersey. And this, uh, this uh, interviewer said to Bishop Spong, so you, you tell me that you don't believe in the virgin birth, you don't believe in the miracles, you don't believe in the resurrection. He said, why do you even align yourself with the Christian faith? You don't even believe anything that it believes in. That's a good question. It was a good question, but they saw a Jesus who was not part of what, I believe, what we believe that the Gospels teach. And then it goes on to say, John says that the truth lives in us and will be with us forever. So do you know the truth about Jesus? I realise in, in, in a congregation like this, we've got uh, people who have journeyed the Christian faith for, for a long period of time. We've got people who may not be Christians at all. You don't know Jesus. Well, I want to put it out to you this morning. This is not an intellectual thing. This is knowing Jesus personally. He came 
to deal with our sin. He's provided a pathway to restoration to right relationship with God. Do you know him? Not the things about him, not being brought up in the church or whatever it might be, but do you know him personally as the eternal son of God who came to earth to rescue us and by his Holy Spirit actually lives in us? Do you know him? If not, why not? Why don't you know him? Maybe you don't understand it enough. Maybe it's new to you. Maybe you've never even heard it. I don't know. I don't know where you're at. But truth is personified in Jesus. That is the heart of the gospel. Grace, mercy and peace from God, John goes to say, and the Father from Jesus Christ, the Father, Son, will be with us. There it is. Here are these paired words, truth and love. John combines truth and love. They are inseparable. It's like putting fish and chips together. They're words that go together, but this is more than just putting food together. They are an inseparable pair. Truth and love. They are two peers that really need to be foundation to all of our lives. Our knowledge and experience of the truth, so here we are as Christians, we gather here, uh, creates fellowship. That's what fellowship is. It's the truth about Jesus that brings us together. That fellowship is created by truth, but as we gather, it's actually expressed in love. And we'll go and have a look at that uh, shortly. Our shared commitment to truth, which is what we have as Christian, forms the basis for our love for each other uh, as believers and others as well. If it's truth that brings us together, then it's love that keeps us together. Love is to be the bond or the glue or the uniform or the identifying feature for those of us who know Jesus. They will know you are Christians by the love that you have one for another. John 13, 34, 35, a new command. You are to love one another. John 15, 1 John 3, talks about love as being an action, it's, it's a reflection of the truth. This is how we know we belong to the truth, but by the, the fact that we love one another. Second John 5, uh, further down in this little uh, book there says, we're to love one another. Those who know Jesus are to love one another. But we'll come back and unpack that love a little bit more because it's not modelled on us, it's modelled on the love of the Lord Jesus Christ, his birth, his life and his death. You see, truth and love exist in their absolute form in the character of God. That's how we know what truth and love looks like. It is perfectly expressed in the person of Jesus Christ, but it needs to be featured in us as, the Christ, as, a, as a Christian. That needs to be our identifying feature. Verse 4, it's given me great joy, he says, to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as the Father commanded us. And now, dear lady, I'm not writing you a new command, but one that you've had from the beginning. I ask that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk in obedience to his commands. As you've heard from the beginning, uh, his command is that you walk in love. Now, the repeated word there, I've got it underlined on your little postcard there, walking in truth, walking in obedience, walking in love. The key word there, uh, it's, it coming out of there as truth, is something that needs to be walked into. There's got to be this movement forward. It's not static. It's not sitting up here in our head. But as Christians, we are to walk in truth, obedience and love. And I want us to, to look at some principles here that will help us live out our Christian faith. And we'll come and we'll look at that a little bit further on. But to, to hear that finishing statement uh, well done, 
good and faithful servant? How do we stay the course? How do we stay on track? I mentioned it a few weeks ago, the expression, a long obedience in the same direction. What does that look like for us as Christians? Well, John's his pastor, Pastor John, he's an old man and has, had journeyed the, the time with Jesus and was part of the, the church and so on like that, but he's now probably in his 90s or so. And he just says, you know what, it just brings such joy uh, to me to find some of your children walking in the truth. You know, we, we need to celebrate that. And I, we, we all know, because we have family members and so on, who aren't walking in truth. We know, we know that, but it's bringing him joy for those who have continued to walk in truth. Now, he's probably writing to this little house church or whatever, but some have stayed there in the, in the truth. Oh, sure, we love a spectacular story how God can reach down in the, in the pit of somebody's behaviour and addictions and that sort of stuff and rescue them, and they are great stories of testimony. But there are stories of testimony of people just walking with God, trusting God, and that brought joy to John. And we should, in a sense, celebrate that. Okay, what does it mean to walk in the truth? And I think Stott uh, sums it up here well. It's, uh, it's up on the screen. To walk in the truth is more than to give assent to or to agree to or whatever. It means to apply it to one's behaviour. Whoever walks in the truth is an integrated believer in which there is no dichotomy, there's no tension, there's no separation between profession and practice. On the contrary, there is in him an exact correspondence between creed and conduct. What I say is what I do. Now, parenting is the best way to explore that concept because your kids pick it up. And I remember Stephen as a little fellow was sitting down there at dinner time and he did this big burp. I said, excuse me, mate. He said, why, you just did it. I didn't even know it. But he picked up this inconsistency between what I was saying and what I was doing. What does it mean to walk in truth? There needs to be this aligning of what we say and what we do. And what are we aligning with? We are aligning ourselves with the word of God and what's been given to us and what it says to us in terms of how we need to uh, behave. But what does that mean? What does that mean? What does it mean to us? If the Bible teaches that God does not share his glory with another, that you'll see that in Isaiah 48 verse 11, then we must live that out uh, in a way that brings glory to, to him and not allow things to rob him of the glory that is due to him or to allow anything or anyone else to take its rightful place. If we say God is number one, then we need to live that out. But boy, we, we are people of distraction. And over the years, I can tell you, I can see people have been distracted by sport, by whatever it might be. Nothing wrong with the sport and so on, but they can be a distraction. They become our God. I sit in the Suncorp Stadium uh, there with the dolphins and so on, and uh, mm -mm, it's, it's the focus of a lot of people's lives. It's a part of my life, but it's not everything. My focus should be God. If I, believe, if I believe that the Bible teaches the truth that the Holy Spirit controls those who belong to Christ, Romans 8 and 9, then we must live that out by submitting to the control of the Holy Spirit in our lives. 
And I wake up in the morning, I think of Pam, uh, Pam Sadler, the other week for the seniors week, and she said, I wake up in the morning, I say, Lord, help me to be the woman that you want me to be. There needs to be this alignment about what we believe and what we do. If the Bible teaches the truth that his word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path, then we actually need to be familiar with the word that is a lamp and a light to our path. But if we're not doing anything with the word, how's it going to be a lamp and going to be a light? The truth is something to know, it is something to believe, it's something to walk in and the evidence of it is in our changed lives. But here's the thing Paul says in Philippians 2, we are to work out our own salvation because it's God who works in you. You see, I'm under my own steam, I can't live out that life. It's God working in me so that he can work out the things that he wants for my life. We work out what God is working uh, within and the evidence of that should be in our walk. Secondly, we walk in love. Now, dear lady, I'm not writing to you a new command, so this is a long time later than John's Gospel. This is, you're familiar with this. I said, you love one another. You've heard it from the beginning. You walk in love. John does not separate truth and love. In fact, the key aspect of walking in truth is to walk in love. Now, in English, we understand the context of a sentence to determine the different types of love. I love scotch fingers. I've loved them ever since I was a child. I used to sneak out when I was a young fella, a little fella, and sneak out in the kitchen while it was still dark, bring them back to my bed, eat them in my sheets, and could never, under the sheets, and never work out how mum knew uh, that I had uh, eaten those scotch fingers. It's been a lifelong love. And I love footy. I love going to the footy. Great to see the dolphins in there and looking forward to next year. And I love Robin, but they're very different loves. But you can tell that by the context. But you can't command me to love. And John does that. He commands them. You need to love. Because there's something different here. Behind our English Bible was a Greek. It was written originally in Greek. Most of you would be familiar with the different types of Greek words that sit there behind love because that's how the Greeks used to contextualise it. Eros was the erotic, the physical. The phileo was the friendship and the affectionate. But there's this agape, this, this word that was specific to the Christian faith, really, and to the New Testament, Greek. A self-giving love where it seeks the higher good of others even if they don't deserve it. Unselfish. Values others, wants the best for them, more like devotion than just emotion. This is the word John is using here when he says that you need to love uh, each other. That's why it needs to be a command. It's not intrinsic in me, it's not coming from me, because this is a love that comes from God. Do we have the sort of love that seeks the highest good of others, even if they don't deserve it? Do you have the sort of love that seeks the highest good of the person that ticks you off all the time? There's people... Look, we're a church community. We're so diverse, I already said that. Do you have the sort of love that seeks the highest good of something somebody said to you back in October 1991? Because I know that somebody spoke to me in the lift and said, you may not remember, but you said something. I said, really? That's 20 years ago. The issue probably sat more with them. And, you know, obviously I was able to apologise and so on like that, but it sat out there for an awful long time. You have the sort of love that seeks the highest good of the person who always wants to outdo you and show you up. You have the sort of love that seeks the highest good of others even if they don't deserve it. Pick your own scenario. And you can think of somebody. This is not a new commandment. This is Christianity 101. 1 John 4, 7. Dear friends, let love 
Uh, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his love for this, for us in this, while we're still sinners, Christ died from us. I tell you what, there are plenty of Christians who veered off on the side of love and have missed the harbour because they hold stuff against each other. And Jesus doesn't want that. I'm not minimising the harm or the damage that may have been done in some of those settings. But this is a love that God has demonstrated to us that we need to demonstrate to each other. And we walk in obedience. This is love. We walk in obedience. How do we express the love to each other? We walk in obedience to God's commandments. What is love expressed? Uh, why, why is love, though, expressed in, in, in following his commandments? We don't, as a culture, we don't like, as humankind, actually, we don't like authority. We're suspicious of it. And here we're being told to follow God's commands. Love and law just don't seem to be a good fit. In fact, the 70s song by Fleetwood Mac would seem to be the anthem for humankind. We go our own way. God's law and love do go hand in hand. It's the loving thing to honour your parents. It's the loving thing not to murder or maintain anger in your heart. It's the loving thing not to take what belongs to somebody else. It's the loving thing not to cover and want more and more stuff. To conform to the law of God is to live a life of God. Romans 13.10 says, Love does no harm to a neighbour. Therefore, love is the fulfilment of the law. We're living it out in our lives. So he's sort of going around in circles here. Well, he's not going around in circles, but it's a little bit of a circular argument. How are you going to walk in obedience? Then walk in love. How do you walk in love? Well, obey my commandments. It's almost like he's saying, guys, it's not rocket science. Here's the thing. Our obedience should be joyful, not a burden. Final little part that, that, um, that we won't spend a lot of time on, but the second part of that postcard, that whole, this side of the right-hand side of it, is about guarding the truth. Because do you know what? We're easily deceived. I'm sure all of us have been deceived. Remember Dad when I was deceived by that used car salesman on Parramatta Road? Tricked me into handing over my licence. You know what his name was? Kevin Bible. (laughs) Just how weird is that? You know, we're all up to being deceived. And this church was being deceived because people were coming in and they were claiming Jesus wasn't God. They were denying the fact that he was human. We've got people who come around and knock on our doors that make that claim. That somehow or other Jesus was a person, he became the Christ at his baptism, he lived this ordained life and then when he died, he finished being the Christ and went back to being Jesus again. That's heresy. It doesn't sit at the core of the gospel. And so he says to them, don't be deceived. And don't extend hospitality. Don't put those sort of people on the platform. Don't let them into your house, as it were. Not to necessarily to reach out to what I said to someone the other day. If you are going to have a conversation with them, don't let it be around with your family listening and so on because you don't want those who are deceiving to deceive your family. That's part of our responsibility. Don't support them. Okay. He says, I have much to write to you. 
He says, but I want to come to you face to face. You want to know why we still don't do online services? Well, we are for a couple of special people or whatever like that. Because at the end of the day, stuff needs to be done face to face. And John confirms that 2,000 years before we had the internet. I'd much rather be with you. Written you this little letter. Here it is. Okay. Let me finish it up. Here's some thoughts. Ben Jacob, we prayed for Ben. Somebody wrote on the little text group that we're on, well done, good and faithful servant. That's what, as Christians, we want Jesus to say to us. But how do you live a faithful, Christ-centred life so that we hear those words from Jesus? And he's now with the Lord. Seniors Week, I asked the question, how do you finish well to Pam and to Frankie? How do you stay the course? How do you live a faithful and a Christ-centred life? I had a young Christian family speak to me down at uh, parent orientation. They wanted some insight in raising their kids right. And we sort of unpacked that a bit. What does that mean? How do you live a faithful, Christ-centred life as a family? Do you know what? As an individual, as a family, as a church, those peers of truth and love need to be established And every day we need to determine the priority that they are in our life to be able to guide us. Because otherwise, we run the risk of drifting off. And at times we need to navigate the truth and take a stand for it without backtracking or compromising or downplaying it, while at the same time navigating the need to be gracious and kind. Peter says, always prepare to give an answer to everyone who asks you the reason for the hope. Do it in gentleness and respect. Ephesians 4.15, instead, speaking the truth in love, we'll grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head that is in Christ. Speak the truth in love. There's a challenge that sits there, but they are pillars that need to guide us. They need to be those peers that direct us in to be out of that harbour to be able to enjoy the fellowship that God wants with, uh, with us individually, but wants with us as a church. And I come back and I say to those... Uh, Maybe you don't know him. Well, we'd love to share who the Lord Jesus is and what he means to us personally and as a church. May it be said of our families and our church that we hold fast to truth, we demonstrate love towards others and we walk in obedience to God's commands so as to live out our faith in a way that honours and glorifies him. Let me pray. Lord, that is our prayer. That is our prayer that we want to honour as your people honour and glorify you in our lives, to live out these life of faith that you've called us to do. But we need to hold fast to truth. We need to demonstrate love towards each other and we need to walk in obedience. And Lord, we struggle with that. But thank goodness the Holy Spirit lives in us and gives us the strength and the wherewithal to be able to achieve that. Not just for now, but into eternity. You are always with us. What incredible truths sit around this very simple, very short letter. And we pray for your help in Jesus' name. Amen.